Just a quick note for our headphone listeners, I recorded this episode a while back while I was still learning about equipment, so this episode can only be heard in your left ear. Apologies for that. If it's distracting, I would suggest listening without headphones. I hope you all have had a great start to 2017. In the coming months, we'll be hearing a lot of news stories. So just a reminder, if you or someone you know has a story to share, head over to our website, therippolepodcast.com, and send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now, on to today's story. Anne Brickley. Anne was 25 years old on September 11th and working as an attorney for the U.S. Department of Customs. Let's hear Anne's story. I moved to New York in, I think I started my job either October 1st or October 30th of 2000. So I had been there just under a year. I had graduated from law school in 2000 and um, was working at basically a part-time lawyer job, waiting to get my bar results because a lot of employers wouldn't look at you until you had your bar. And I really wanted to work for the Customs Service because I had interned for them and I liked that they did some international legal work and, and really wanted to go to DC. I thought it would be cool to like, you know, live in DC. I grew up in Iowa, moved to Chicago for law school, um, and just became a city person. Like, naturally, I love cities. I did something of an interview in DC, and they liked me, but there was an opening in New York and not DC. So they had me interview with uh, the women that became my bosses in New York, and they liked me, so they hired me. And I remember just, I was like, well, of course I'll move to New York City. Like, why wouldn't I? And Everyone else being like, well, why would you? You don't know anyone there. Especially when I was younger, I had a very huge sense of adventure and like, I'll try anything, like, just let me have it. So it was just really exciting to me. So anyway, you know, I, I just, I was excited about being in New York. And the office itself, I would get off the train in the World Trade Center, like train complex. I think I would get off the where was I? I was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, so I would take the L train to, I think, the ACE, and then I would get out in, like, the, the bottom part of the Trade Center was basically a mall and had all sorts of shops, um, like the Limited and the Gap and stuff like that. So I would get out there, and then I would take an escalator up, and that it was the plaza level that I mentioned. When I got up to the top of the escalator, I could either go right into the North Tower or left into toward my building and then go in the lobby of my building. And we were, I think on the sixth or seventh floor, I don't remember. When you got off the elevator, you would go toward the, would be the west, the southwest side of the building. Like I said, my little office faced the South Tower, but our, the majority of our building faced West Side Highway. And my boss had this beautiful window that from it, you could see the Statue of Liberty because she was at the southwest corner of the office. So as you walked into the building, or into our suite, I think there was a reception area on the left, and then some cubicles to the right. To the left, you would walk into the deputy chief counsel's office, who was my boss, Colleen, and otherwise you'd go sort of up into the right or south into the right into my boss Judy's office, who is the chief counsel. And then everyone else's offices, except my little one, were down the West Hall. 
So that's what it was like. So on the morning of 9-11, I, um, I had just gotten back the day before from a trip to, I think, South Carolina, but now I don't remember if it was north or south, visiting a college friend who had moved there. Wherever I was, it was beautiful. Like we were in the, on the beach the day before, and um, that morning in New York, it was, it was a beautiful fall day. It was a little bit chilly. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go in. Um, you know, I was still pretty new to the job. I had been there less than a year and still pretty uncertain of my abilities as a lawyer. And I remember having the thought, like, I wish I didn't have to go in. So I got in in the morning, and I might have been one of the first people there because I know I went in early to sort of tackle something that was I was struggling with. And um, at some point before 8 or right around 8, I went into our library, which was an interior part. It was a conference room with library books, I think. I don't even remember, but I was in the library, and I heard this very loud sound. And my initial thought was, well, that was weird, but also... Like, I think when you hear things you're not used to, your brain tries to figure out what it is. And there were always loud trucks and things barreling down West Side Highway, which was almost directly underneath us. Like, our building jutted out over West Side Highway. So then I thought, hmm, maybe it was just, you know, a car accident or a truck. I just assumed it was not a major thing for me. I don't know if I left the library to see what other people thought of the sound or if I heard people talking. Um, but at that point, like, I wasn't scared. I wasn't concerned. But when I got out into the hallway, a coworker of mine was saying, I don't know if we should stay here. A plane just, like, flew into the, you know, he said, I think, one world trade. Like, we refer to them as one and two, but the North Tower. And, you know, there was activity because of this. And then at some point, I think something came over the loudspeaker or the intercom or whatever, um, but I'm not sure if it was that or that someone just came and told us, but we were told to evacuate and we were told to go down a specific set of stairs. And I remember there was a woman in the building, a woman that I worked with who had a bad hip or a bad knee and she didn't do well with stairs. And so she was very concerned about how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And another coworker was like, don't worry, we'll help you. And then he and I helped her get down the stairway and, and that kind of scared me, like, because I could tell she was scared. And about the same time, before we left our office, a coworker of mine who had been, he was a Vietnam vet, he had been in the building in the 93 bombing. He was a little bit off because of his trauma from the Vietnam War. Um, and every day when he left the office, whether it was to go to the bathroom or go out for lunch, he would take two big grocery bags with him of all of his belongings. And I remember that day when he walked out with his two grocery bags. And, and at that point, we knew that the plane had hit. I remember thinking, I better go get my purse. I still wasn't afraid. Like, I, it really hadn't sunk into me that something serious. I mean, I knew a plane hitting a building was serious, but that anybody was in any danger. And then when we were walking down, my coworker, Deborah, the one with the, um, the leg problem, she was scared, and that frightened me a little bit. We got down the six or seven flights of stairs and we came upon the lobby of our building, which um, the lobby of our building connected with the North Tower. The lobby's connected. So you could walk over to the North Tower or you could take a left and go out onto the plaza, which went toward the east. Like there was a plaza on the east side of the towers that faced 
you know, Manhattan basically, or you could go right and take a sky bridge over to the World Financial Center or somewhere around there, there was a back stairwell, but that wasn't an option. And I remember when we got down to the plaza level, I think we all assumed we'd go out the plaza level, but there were one or two firemen there directing us onto the sky bridge. And when I say directing, they were like, go that way, go, you know, they were yelling at us. And, and at that point I knew like, this isn't good, but still didn't really feel like I was in any danger, like we were in any danger. And then when we were walking across the sky bridge, I remember seeing two non-matching shoes from, you know, presumably two different bodies um, or two different people. At the time, I, I knew that was bad. Like I remember the movie Stand By Me that I watched as a kid. There was a boy, Ray Brower, they were looking for who had been hit by a train and his shoe was away from his body. So I remembered thinking like, that's a sign of an accident. But honestly, it may have been years before it connected for me that those were probably the shoes of people who had jumped. And people have said you probably saw people jumping, but I, if I did, I do not remember it. So anyway, we crossed the Scry Bridge. So you took these big stairs down to the World Financial Center. And then on the east side of the World Financial Center was the Hudson River. And the Hudson River, um, you know, there was like a, a places where people could park their yachts. And, you know, it was a huge sprawling sidewalk, like tons of space. Um, and so people were you know, sort of walking around along the world, the sidewalk outside the World Financial Center and, and milling about. And again, like, I mean, people were concerned for the, the folks in the tower above where the plane had hit because the, you know, you could see the flames. Um, so it was, but they were 80 feet up. So you could see them, but you didn't feel anything. And again, I didn't see anything happening so, you know, the general discussion was those poor people on those floors and higher. One of my bosses was talking about whether she should head up to the train station because she was supposed to go to Boston that day on the train. Um, we were trying to decide if we should go back. There was not a lot of information about what to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we didn't know if we should go back to work or anything. And then, you know, as we were standing there, um, I'm sure I heard it first. I heard a plane coming. But I remember looking sort of up and back, and it was a huge plane at a very low um, height and, and thinking, well, that's weird. You know, your brain just does all sorts of gymnastics to explain what, what you're perceiving. And um, I don't know if, like, I don't know if I had the sensation of the plane getting lower, but definitely that it was getting closer. And at some point it clicked that it was headed right toward the second tower. And, and at that point, it was immediate, like there were immediate conclusions of like, this is terrorism, this is unsafe. And then as the plane got closer and it was directly overhead, I remember reading the lettering of the plane. And, and my memory is about, I can read those letters, but I couldn't tell you if they were, it was United or American. I just remember that it was so close to me, I could see the lettering. And then feeling the sensation of the plane or the driver of the plane increasing the fuel like he floored it like he he went after that building as if it were a target um and that like was was terrifying like you know it was very scary um and there were hundreds of people out where we were 
you know, screaming and we all took off running and it was sort of confusion about where you should go. And I remember, I remember seeing scenes from like 60s or 50s movies, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and things like that. And like seeing people run for their lives and, and I was now running for my life with hundreds of other people and like seeing grown men with fear on their faces and my colleague saying, run for the water. And I remember I laughed at her because I thought that was so ridiculous, but also not a bad idea. And, and my personal thought was like, you know, I was saying um, a prayer that I say often and asking God to make it fast because I really thought like this is gonna go on all day. I was waiting for bombs to start coming, screaming out of the sky. And so that was probably five minutes of like running and being scared. And, and one of our coworkers, um, the one who was sort of leading the charge of, of making sure our, you know, less ambulatory coworker, he was keeping an eye on her. And I noticed that I remember that's one of the things like out of the corner of my eye, I saw that he was making sure she was getting away. So I kind of veered over toward him and her, as did the other coworker who was with us. Um, and at some point we got, you know, I don't know, half a block away. I don't know what the next building up from, from the World Financial Center is, but there, I think it was a hotel and there was a driveway there. Somebody said, we have to get out of downtown. So we all piled into this cab or this livery car. And I remember he wasn't sure he wanted to take us, but we were like, we'll give you all our money. You know, at that point, I was terrified. I mean, again, like I thought we were under attack and that, you know, anything could happen. A coworker said, let's go north. His wife worked near the, the Empire State Building, so he wanted to get to her. The coworker who had a hard time walking lived on Long Island, so the plan was, and this is what happened, the, the driver dropped our coworker Todd off so he could go find his wife in Midtown, and then he drove Jean Marie and I up to her neighborhood on the Upper West Side. Again, we gave him all our money, um, which was like $75 total, and he took our coworker to Long Island to her home. Jean Marie and I got out um, on the Upper West Side, and she said, I think we need to go to the grocery store. Like, I don't know when it'll be open again. So we went to the grocery store. And as we were in line for the grocery store, someone was saying that the Pentagon had been hit. And, And on the way in the car, once we knew we were safe, once I didn't think I was going to die right then, was I thought about my sister because when I took the job, um, my sister was like, why are you moving, why are you taking a job in a building that gets bombed? And of course at 25 I was like, oh that happened, it's never going to happen again. So I, I was thinking about what my sister must be thinking since she basically predicted this and feeling guilty and worried about my family and what my mom was going to think. And so as we were driving up the West Side Highway, we were all trying our phones to get a hold of people. Um, And I was really, really worried. It was imperative that I get a hold of my mom because I knew how worried she would be. She, um, she's just the, you know, ultimate caregiving parent. So um, we were all trying our phones and I was the first one who could get through to someone. And Um, My sister answered and, you know, it was maybe nine in the morning and my sister should have been at her job at a school, but she answered the phone. And so I was almost in tears. Like I probably was about, I I was close to crying or crying. And she said, let me get mom. 
mom picked up the phone and and this is the woman who you know if you fell down would always be like you're fine it's okay you know shake it off toughen up so she got on the phone and i was like mom and she's like oh you're okay then um and it was you know in retrospect hilarious that she would say i was okay because obviously i you know i was physically okay but psychologically pretty traumatized but she like just hearing her reassure me made me feel better it was just incredibly reassuring and um so i talked to her and my brother-in-law for a minute and then my coworkers are like give us your phone it's the only one that can get through so then you know i shared my phone with them and like i said jean marie and i went to get food um and it was when she said we should get food because you don't know how long the grocery store will be open or how much food will be left i mean it was like having thoughts of what you read about during World War II, that there wasn't enough food and, you know, like just how much things had changed in that less than an hour. And hearing that the Pentagon had been hit confirmed that it was an attack on the country, not just New York. And then when we left the grocery store, I think a taxi said, oh, the, the tower just came down. And that was really, really breathtaking because it was like after all of that there were more people in danger you know it, it just upped the ante of of how many people were going to be harmed and then you know watching the news that night and the next day and hearing about everyone in in emergency rooms were at the ready um, but nobody was coming so for that and over the next couple of days or really I mean by even lunchtime the next day it seemed like it was pretty clear that there weren't going to be many survivors out of the buildings. That was really hard to even process mentally. Um, How did you feel and did you immediately realize like I'm not going to go back to this office building? Like that's no um, longer my office. Not immediately because I think it you know, there was a lot of assessing of the danger. I know that, you know, that, that evening and the next day, I think the Seven World Trade, it didn't start on fire until that evening, I think. But I think it burned to the ground that night. I think that's right. But anyway, there was a lot of confusion, or at least a lot of, there was a lack of information about, you know, the extent of the damage in that whole area because there was talk about the slurry wall and, um, you know, People were concerned that the, the, the boundaries keeping the ocean away might be um, Can you explain what the slurry wall is? Well, I'm trying to remember, but it... <laughs> so the slurry wall, as I remember it, and this is completely not mechanical or scientific, um, there are big, I guess, trenches dug down into the water around lower Manhattan to keep... Um, you know, the structures of buildings from being affected by the water that surrounds Manhattan. And there, were, there was concern, and I think there were, leaks in this slurry wall and discussion of if, if the leaks got bad enough and the slurry wall got destroyed, that then it could cause severe flooding in lower Manhattan. So there was a lot of attention paid to that. Um, so in other words, there, it was unclear for quite a while, well, in terms of knowing we would never go back, I, it was at least several days, if not a week or two. Um, but at some point in the in that initial week, we learned that 
our building, even though it didn't explode or implode, it was so affected by the North Tower coming down and the and Seven World Trade starting on fire that it was uninhabitable. And um, I remember there were some things people told us, like even though the 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 filing cabinets were um, fireproof, the heat was so hot that papers inside the the fireproof cabinet had like burnt anyway. So you'd have these cabinets, but if you opened them, it was just ash on the inside. Wow. My two bosses were able to go to the, you know, the perimeter or the whatever they called it, um, and walk around. They were given hard hats and boots, and they were able to walk around. And I think there was a big hole in the side of the building, like right next to, you know, so you couldn't really even go in. So we learned that in a, you know, in a matter of days. I don't remember that. I mean, I don't think it was surprising when we found that out. I think it was a little hard to take knowing that we, you know, we were being relocated to 34th Street. And I think for people who had been in the building longer than me, that was really, really tough. I think other people had a much deeper emotional connection to the neighborhood and the building than me because I hadn't grown up around the World Trade Center. I had only worked there for a year. So I think my feelings about work were, am I safe on the subway? Am I safe? I think we're on the 11th floor in the, in the new building that we went to. So, you know, I didn't have a sentimental attachment. It was more about the deceased people and then my own personal safety. I think the thing that sticks with me the most isn't like how afraid I was or how any of that. It was the concern that I get a hold of my family and my worry over what my family was thinking. Like I knew that I was fine for the moment, even if I had been through something tough, like riding in that taxi, wanting to make sure that my family knew I was okay was like the overriding concern that day. Um, and the days after, like wanting to know that they were okay. So it's, it's strange. It's, um, you know, I went off on this big adventure to New York City, um, but when something really horrible happened, like the first thing I thought of was my family. Um, and that, like that's never gone away. Like that feeling of, I don't want them to worry about me. Thanks for joining us today at The Ripple. I hope you enjoyed Anne's story. Keep an eye on our website and Instagram in the next few months as we have a Kickstarter coming out, and we'd love your support. As always, a huge thank you to Daniel Broadhurst and Sean Mann. I'll see you next time.